Hey there, Purpose Warriors. Welcome to the Awaken to Purpose podcast. This is Dr. Burnell from drburnell.com, where we believe that every season in your life serves a greater purpose. If you're new to the podcast, here's what you need to know. We are a community of purpose warriors who believe that God's best version of ourselves is hidden on the inside of us, just waiting to be awakened as we grow in our relationship and continue to say yes to what God has called us to do in the earth. We know that God's purpose for our lives was preordained and the reason why he created us. So every other week, this podcast seeks to explore how to awaken to your purpose from a practical standpoint and become God's best version of you. And we do this by touching upon our five pillars of purpose, faith, relationship, identity, resiliency, and stewardship. If you want to know more about our five pillars of purpose, head over to my website at www.drvernell.com backslash podcast. So before we dive in, I need to share with you that this podcast is being brought to you by my new book, From Pain to Purpose, where I share actionable steps, biblical principles, and life lessons on how I discovered my purpose after a painful and unexpected divorce and was left to raise two children with more than a million dollars of debt, zero access, and a negative network. My book is available on my website, again, at www.drbrunel.com, also on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, or wherever books are sold. So if you want to learn more about how to release limiting beliefs, overcome financial difficulties, experience radical breakthroughs, and step courageously into your purpose, then grab your copy today. And remember that God can use whatever unfair or unjust act, any rejection or hurtful experience, and transform your pain into your purpose. So let's jump right in. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Awaken to Purpose podcast. I have a very special guest today. Devorah Faith is a life-impacting communicator and podcast host whose desire is to see people healed and restored from unaddressed trauma. She has dedicated her life to creating a transparent space where people can have uncomfortable conversation in a safe and vulnerable space. She provides mirrors and windows so people know healing, evolution, and restoration is possible. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so good to be here. So excited to have you here. I've been thinking about you for the last several weeks. When we really? first Yeah, I have. I really have because I feel like when we first connected on your podcast, you had such an amazing story of resiliency. And so I really wanted you to come onto my show and share like a part of your story, if not all of your story for the listeners, because I think that there are going to be people who your story is going to resonate with. And I think it's so important to talk about not just where you were, but where you are today. And so I'm going to turn it over to you and let you go ahead and jump into your story. Yeah, let me start off first by saying thank you for having me. You graced my podcast space and it was a blessing to have you. I think your episode actually airs the end of this month. So I am excited for my listeners to get to hear your story, which was so powerful. But my story is one that started, little girl grew up in a very urban area. And when I was 12 years old, I lost my sister. 
My sister actually died in my arms when I was 12. And I really feel like that changed. I think at that particular point, I didn't realize how much it changed me, but it literally changed the trajectory of my life. And it wasn't until later on after I had experienced so much loss, man. My sister died when I was 12. Within the next year, I lost my grandfather, my grandmother. And as a child, you know, I grew up in a very, my mom, who's a minister, I grew up in the church, you know, loving God, singing in the choir. But with trauma, I felt like it was one of those things that kind of got kind of passed over. And one of those things that really wasn't looked at and wasn't dealt with. We didn't deal with mental health back then. It was either you were sane or you were crazy, right? And as being a 12-year-old who had seen so much loss, right? I don't think people knew what to do. And I love my parents because I always say that parents can only give you what they have and what they've received themselves. And though my parents, I'm 100% sure that they didn't know what to do. And in turn, they really did nothing. So things kind of went back to normal. I went back to school and I think people just, you know, as my mom would say, she prayed for me. She thought that just giving, and I love the Lord, but just giving me, okay, well, God will take care of that and heal me. Those places and spaces were never addressed. And in turn, I grew into a woman, became a mom and all of that with that never being addressed, but it showed up later on in life in so many different ways. And I was able to see the fruit of it, not ever really understanding the root of it. And it wasn't until I probably was about mid thirties that I really start trying to figure out like, why was I the way that I was? You know what I mean? I think so often we will kind of say, this is just how I am, but never really visit why I am the way that I am. Mm -hmm. And in losing my sister at 12, my sister was 10 when she died. There was identity I took on, right? I took on this hero identity where I was saving everybody else because I couldn't save my sister. I never related those two for a long time, man. Oh my God. It's almost like I searched out people that I felt like I was helping, but in turn was harming my own self. And it just became, I mean, it led to bad relationships, intimate ones, friendships. I just gave. I gave without boundaries. I had tons of insecurities. It leaked over into so many different areas. And that's why I feel like therapy and actually that's what led me to even creating the podcast because I think that there's so many people like me (laughs) that have experienced and maybe not the same level of trauma, but that have experienced things that kind of got brushed over. And we just said, oh, you know, we got into this thing of like, be strong. And I think that's that strong woman syndrome of like strong is good, but it's not good when it's damaging you. When you think, oh, well, saving other people is okay, but nobody's saving you and you're not taking care of yourself and putting your mask on first. So man, it was, and it has been a journey because it continues to be a journey as I've been on this healing journey. Thank God I was able to get into therapy and learn some things about myself and kind of go back and start to unlearn things that I thought were the correct things. And again, people can unpack that a little bit. Let's unpack it just a little bit, even just for myself. So when you say like, you know, after your sister had passed on and it was kind of like life went back to normal, what did that mean? And what did that really look like? Do you feel like you and your family did not have an opportunity to really grieve the loss together? 
or did everybody grieve separately? If I'm honest, I don't think grief was something that we even talked about. So my mom, and let me just share this. So my mom has lost three children, right? There's only two of us still living. And I have an older brother who's still living. He was six years older than I am and myself, but every child in between my mom had lost. So I don't know that she had ever grieved. I think that her grief had always led her to the Lord. So she had a way that she had grieved or handled that. And that was really going back to normal. When I say going back to normal is, you know, we didn't talk about my sister. We didn't talk about what was happening. I actually just maybe three and a half, four years ago, had a conversation about that actual situation with my mom. It was something that was just not talked about. We kind of went back to, when I say go back to normal, I went back to school as normal. It was almost like my sister didn't exist. You know, my sister had died in my room, which we shared at the time. I went back to the same room. Like everything went back to kind of being the same, but I was different. You know what I mean? And I'm sure that my parents, I think about that now that you say that, I often wonder, you know, what their grieving process looked like, but I honestly don't know. I don't know that they had one. I mean, my dad was the man's man, right? My mom was a homemaker. My dad, a welder, God rest his soul. And I think everybody just went back to functioning or surviving so to speak, life day to day and going back to, you know, just whatever felt normal at that time, which was really difficult for me. I actually shared on one of my podcasts that there was a period of time I really felt like I was losing it, but didn't feel like I had anyone that I could share that with. Like I remember as a child pretending that my sister was not gone. Like if I was downstairs, I would pretend that she was upstairs. If I went upstairs, because you got to think 12 years old, you know what I mean? And 12 years old back in the day, not a 12 year old in 2022, just kind of playing imaginary games to be able to cope, you know what I mean, with what I was feeling Mm -hmm. and not really having anyone to talk to about that. And because everybody went, it felt so normal. I taught myself how to quote unquote look normal. Okay. Okay. So let's try to unpack that even more. You know, I hear that. And I think that oftentimes, especially in African-American families, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a tendency to hide, like sometimes certain emotions and certain feelings beyond anger, right? (laughs) Um, And to just kind of like stuff them down somewhere and just never bring it back up or, you know, kind of like talk about it. And I know you have also talked about like those things that didn't bode well for you in the context of relationships. Because then you became, you know, a people pleaser, trying to be other people's savior. That's not your word. That was just, <laughs> I just said, no, that's, that's the right word. That's so, like, you're trying to stand in this place, in this position that only God holds. So when you talk about these relationships that you were in, you talked about this place of mental brokenness, right? Your heart's broken. Your mind feels like it's shattered in some type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have anybody that you can turn to. Did you start feeling like you turned to certain people in certain relationships to feel whatever that emptiness or void is? Or can you talk a little bit about that? I think I turned to those relationships. I don't think at that period of time, I don't think I had the awareness of it. If I'm honest, I don't think I looked at it that way. Like where I I was, I even thought that I was kind of seeking people out that I felt like I could save. You know what I mean? I definitely 
didn't see it that way. It probably was years and years and years down the line that I really had to look back and be like, why do I feel so responsible for other people? What Mm -hmm. makes me feel so responsible for so many people? And why do I feel like it's my job, like you said, to be a savior? Because I definitely had that. I had that hero complex of just showing up, being there. And I would, when I say overextend, sis, I mean, overextend in every facet, overextend, whether it was financially, whatever it was, it was, I don't know. I think that little girl in me was always trying to make up for what she felt like was her fault because I blamed myself so, so much for my sister's death. I felt like a bad child, right? That day that I lost my sister, I'll never forget it. But I was seventh grade and I was working on a science project. So I was home alone with my sister. And I always took really, really good care of my sister. She was sick that day. My mom had gone to church and I was working on my project and my little sister wasn't feeling well. So my mom had called me like, oh, go check on her. And I remember waiting to go check on her because I'm like working on my science project. Right. So I always had this in the back of my head of like, hey, if you got there sooner, hey, if you did, you know what I mean? What, I mean, most people probably will feel experiencing that type of trauma is like, hey, if I would have only got there earlier, could I have saved her? So I think that translated unknowingly because it definitely wasn't a self-awareness thing. It wasn't like I, in my head, I'm like, oh, I can help this person. But I just had a genuine, I felt called to those people. But the reason I felt called to them And it probably wasn't, maybe I was called to them because I don't want to discount that. I think that that was something different that I did probably feel called to them. But I think the level of me not being at a healthy place to Mm -hmm. be called to someone, you can't manage yourself well in that relationship, whether you're called to it or not. So it just led to really bad relationships or relationships that didn't serve me at all, at all, Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. At what point, because, you know, you talked about just being 12 and then entering into these bad relationships. At what point did you have your child, your first child? I was 20. So I lost my first son at 21. I think I was 21. My oldest son, I lost him at birth. Again, another loss. And again, I had taught myself, like I would tell myself, you are okay. I had this thing that I had been doing my whole life. Any trauma, anything that happened in my life that was like really traumatic to me, I would have self-talk with myself. You're okay. You're okay. Get through it. And I was always able to function that way. My oldest living son, I had him at 24. Okay. And then my other son I had at 28. Yeah. So again, another loss and another just That whole, even when I look at that, like me losing my first son, I never dealt with that. I just kept going. I had learned to be okay Mm -hmm. or to look okay. And what was scary about that place, if Mm -hmm. I'm honest, and I want the listeners to think about that, if they're in that place, what was scary most about that place is that I got applauded because I think I was doing so well career-wise. Gosh, okay. You overcompensated. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I was overcompensating in other areas and it became, I think for the outside looking in, even my family, and this is why me and my mom had this conversation about three or four years ago about my sister is that she's like, you're always okay. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm actually not okay, but nobody's ever asked me if I was okay. So mm-hmm. I've learned to not be okay my whole entire life. 
or to, like you said, look like I was saying, look okay, not that I was doing okay. And it's a very scary place because I think outside looking in, people thought I was killing the game. They were like, you're successful. Nothing bothers you. You can just keep functioning. You're a single mom raising your kids. You are doing it. Like, so on one side of it, I was being applauded. On the other side, I was like dying internally. You know what I mean? So it was me fighting me. Mm -hmm. And really at that time, not really having the self-awareness to really understand like where all of that was coming from. Cause I didn't know it's like, Hey, when people and God has always, I don't know. I always say that he has allowed me to be around like tragic and traumatic things to help other people through. I mean, I know he allowed me to go through a lot of things to be able to help people through, but I think people became dependent on me for that. So I, death for me was always a very numbing place. It's a very, I just started feeling probably losses that I had way, way back over the last four years, I had to go through and process those. Again, it's been a journey. It has not been easy, but it's definitely been worth it. If that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. First of all, everything that you said was so good and like so incredible. Because I think that there's so many people who are walking through life who are pretending to be okay when in fact they're not okay. And I had this one guest on my podcast, he described a situation that he was going through and he started to numb his pain, you know, through kind of relationships, sometimes it's through alcohol, sometimes it's just in a lot of different ways that you numb your pain. And he described himself as the walking dead. Wow. I understand that. Oof. Right. It's just like, you know, it takes so much to even make it through not even the next day, but it's moment by moment and minute by minute. And so then you start to self-medicate, but you don't know always, you don't see yourself doing it. And because the way that we do it might be considered normal or it's okay to be sexually active, or maybe it's overly sexual. Maybe it's okay for you to drink a little bit here and there. It's okay for you to kind of be that overachiever and always try to help and save somebody. Meanwhile, you can barely help yourself. And so like that was so powerful and that was so good. So how did you kind of like turn the corner? Like, how did you turn the corner of getting to a place where you could say to yourself, it's okay that I'm not okay? Yeah. So I would say, so I lost my dad in 2016. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. He had cancer of the lungs, the esophagus. And that process, I had my dad for 18 months. So taking him back and forth to chemo, taking him back and forth to radiation. When he left here, my whole life changed. And though I miss my dad, I miss him tremendously. He helped me find me and locate me. I think that in losing him, I really found myself. If forced me. And I don't know what people always say, what was so different about this loss opposed to every other loss that I had experienced. I honestly don't know. (laughs) I was going to ask you that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know. I wish I had something to, and maybe it was knowing that he was leaving here. Cause I knew God had told me he was not going to, his recovery wouldn't be the recovery that I wanted. And I knew that I knew that from the time I knew he was sick before he knew he was sick. There was just something like God was showing me things throughout that. There was something about those 18 months where I really got to know not just my parent, but the person 
in a different manner, the conversations that probably most people don't get to have with their parent because that's, you know, their parent, so to speak. It did something to me. It did something to me and it really showed me or gave me a different preview of what life really looked like and how I wanted to live the rest of mine that God was going to give me. And it just, I don't know, it changed me. And I promised my dad on his deathbed that he would live through me and that I would make sure that I wouldn't, my dad worked so hard his entire life for us. He was always alive, but I never feel like he got to live like how he had planned to live. Like he had always, oh, well, when I get here, I would do this. When I get, you know, I'll be able to retire at this point. And I think again, over those 18 months, really talking to him, understanding who he was and where he had come from and all the things that he had struggled to through. And it just gave me this different preview of life. And again, what I wanted, what even what I wanted my children to have when I left here and not like tangible things, but what I wanted them to know about me, you know what I mean? Not, right. It changed me in a way that I really felt like I want to leave it all here. I want to really die empty. I don't want to keep things inside thinking I had enough time because me and my dad are very, very similar. We work really, really hard. You know what I mean? It was like almost watching yourself leave here. And it was one of the hardest things I probably have ever done in my life, but it changed me so much for the better that even though I'm at times so sad that he's not here to see where I am today. I'm so happy I had that experience and I'm so happy I got that time because it forced me to look back at so many other losses. It forced me to process those. It forced me to grieve. It gave me permission to do that for whatever reason. So that was my turning point that sent me the therapy because I could no longer fake it. I could no longer fake it. Listen, again, that was so good and so heartfelt. I think Sometimes we're just conditioned by culture to keep up these facades. Yeah. And when you start really peeling back the layers of our life, you discover how incredibly unhappy and unfulfilled most people are. Yeah. Have the hallmarks of success, the things, right? The relationships, the kids, you know, traveling, all of those things mm-hmm. will feel dead on the inside. Oh, yeah. I loved even hearing you say that because. I think oftentimes that people continue down this path of faking it. And especially, I think, in African-American community where it's not always socially acceptable for you to go get therapy, right? Yeah. Um, right? So you know, to kind of get help, you suck it up, suck it up and keep moving. And, you know, God will take care of you and you'll figure it out. Well, this is how life is supposed to be. No, it's not, Right. I'm like, God has gifted people with certain skills and abilities and talents to help us cope through tragedies in our lives. And yeah. And so for people to not tap into that resource that God has positioned in the earth, it's incredibly sad. Your story is so good. And I recognize it's going to resonate with so many people, just a loss like that. And there are people who have experienced multiple losses in their lives. And there's some people who have been unable to pull themselves together because, you know, the trauma that they experienced. But I love the courage that you had to really, in my mind, it's like to choose you. Yeah. All these people and things to, you know, stop trying to save people and to save yourself. 
I mean, one I, of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. I can recall the day I chose myself. And I remember driving home crying because I felt like that there, I was worried about somebody else, but I chose me. And I was just like, Lord, I know this is the right thing, but I just, you know, I pray that you take care of them, but I just can't do it. And I remember feeling guilty, but the next morning feeling free. Like that's That's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility. Something that you said that resonated, and I just wanted to tell the listeners or anybody who has suffered multiple losses and looks at kind of therapy or counseling as taboo. That is the only thing we can, if you break a arm, where do you go? To the hospital. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If your heart is broken, there are people trained, like you said, to help you. And trust me, that has been one of the best decisions that I've made. To couple that with the Lord, like he he gives us everything else. Like, hey, you don't say, hey, I'm hungry, but I'm going to just keep on going to the Lord. It's been, you know, a year and I haven't eaten any. No, (laughs) help when you need help. Seriously, because it took me so long. And I know for those who are listening, you have to be ready. So I will say that I had to be at a place of willingness to be honest, to sit before someone and really say how I felt and not feel, you know, want to feel judged or anything like that. But it is so worth it. I'm on the other side of it. And I love, first of all, I love my therapist. I love to go to therapy. (laughs) I love it because it allows me to really manage what I'm feeling and feel we are human beings. Like we are human and give yourself grace, man. Give yourself grace. I have to tell myself that all the time. Give yourself grace. You are one person and you're a human dealing with human experiences. It's okay to feel. It is okay to feel. It's okay to cry. It is okay. Trust me. <laughs> it's so powerful. I think, you know, I was explaining to my best friend what it means to wear two different hats. So because my background is in counseling, I'm coaching people also. What I realized is that people don't always understand the difference between a coach and a counselor, right? Mm -hmm. Or a therapist, what they need. And when I'm listening to someone and they're saying, you know, Ronell, I don't understand this. I feel lost, right? But if they're talking so much about their past or they haven't healed from something in their past, I have to tell them, like, I can't help you, right? That's therapy. That's counseling because it's about you you know, kind of like addressing some things in your past and understanding what coping skills you need to kind of like manage yourself through it. And I'm like, if you are ready to like, if you've already moved beyond kind of like your past and you're ready to look forward into your future, that's where a coach really comes into play. And so, yeah, I would strongly, highly recommend anyone, if you find yourself like still grieving and it has been so many years It doesn't mean that those feelings are going to leave, but you know how to manage them. I would say definitely seek out a therapist for that. There's no shame in it. Again, that's the reason why God has gifted so many different ways to kind of help one another. So I just love that. So, you know, as we kind of like close this out, I would love to hear a little bit more about kind of like where you were, right, to a place of purpose. How did you, for you get to a place where you feel like, Lord, I think I understand what you're calling me to do with the rest of my life or with a portion of my life. Yeah. So I think I was always moving in purpose, but not seeing it as purpose. 
one of my really close friends, her brother committed. This is the day that I I knew kind of, I didn't know how, I definitely didn't know the how. I didn't know the exchange place would exist, <laughs> but I just knew that I was called to help people who were going through major losses. Uh, one of my close friends, her brother committed suicide at 20. And I remember that phone call one of our friends called me to let me know. And I remember driving to work and I was so afraid to call her. I was like, dang. And I was like, Lord, please give me the words to say. Like, what do I say? What do I say? Mm -hmm. And you know exactly what to say. The loss may have been under different circumstances, but you have been her. You know what it is to be the older sibling and you lose a younger sibling and feel responsible for that lost. And I was like, man, like all of a sudden, right. There's a difference sometimes between someone who has been sick for a period of time versus mm -hmm. someone who is like all of a sudden, you, you know, yep. losing. you understand what that feels like. Yeah. So I think for me, it was that moment, mm -hmm. was that phone call and not that I don't think I have anything profound to say to her. But I think it was just a different level of being able to relate and being able to help her. Again, it wasn't the exact same scenario, but being able to help her through that process to be able to pick up the phone at three o'clock in the morning when she had those feelings and really understand where she was mentally and help her get through that. So I think that's where like it really shifted for me. And then- where you were already walking in purpose. Yeah, that I was already helping. Again, I had so many people who had similar, not necessarily suicide, but who had like great losses who would always come to me and I was kind of helping them through it. But I never looked at it like that. Mm -hmm. I think when that happened with her brother, it was like, ding, like, oh, I think this is what I'm called to do. I think I'm called to help people through that. And I think it only has over the years kind of, I've gotten different portions of it where it's kind of expanding where I'm like, okay, it's not just grief. You know what I mean? It's all the areas that it showed up in. It's in the, you know, again, the people pleasing it's in the, you know what I mean? It's in the other things that had turned into fruit in my life that I never even connected back to that loss. So it was definitely then that I was like, Hey, this is what I want to do. I've always loved to help people but now I can help people and also manage me and make sure those, you know, relationships serve me. I love it. I love the balance that you have in yourself and in your life. And I think part of that is just becoming self-aware, discovering yourself, right? Knowing who you are and whose you are. Right. And I don't think um, many people, I should say, go through that process of being really reflective and let me pause where I am and go get the help that I need. So I just, I love everything that you shared. I mean, so amazing, so powerful in a very spiritual way. And you sound strong and you don't sound like you're faking it. Okay, so let's, like, let's be clear. <laughs> People fake the funk so many different times, smile, and you can see that they're hurting on the inside, but they don't want to admit that. So I just love this whole connection that you drew between those two different places. I think probably my last question to you is, what do you feel like you know about God that you wish the whole world knew about him? Ooh, I wish that everyone knew that 
God's plan, even when it doesn't feel good, it is always working for your good. And what doesn't make sense today will make so much sense tomorrow. Like there's so much that I was always asking why, you know what I mean? I was asking Lord, why? And who am I? And all types of things to the Lord. And I have experienced God in so many different ways and the level of just him being here, right? They say, if you make your bed in heaven, he's there. If you make your bed in hell, he's there. And no matter where I've been in my life, no matter how low I've been, no matter how many tears I've cried, no matter how much loss I've experienced, God has always been there. And I can see that looking back. I can see where he kept me. I can see where he protected me. I can see where even when I wanted certain things or was trying so hard for certain things that he was like literally directing my path. So I wish people knew, because I think so often when we're in certain spaces, we feel like we can't feel him. We wonder, hey, God, where are you? You know what I mean? And I think we've all experienced that at one time in our lives or another. So I wish the world knew that like he literally has a plan. Like that's not just something that's just written or something that we say that's like, oh yeah, that's something cute to say. He has a plan for your life. And I'm so grateful, eternally grateful that he's given me a place and a space that's helping me. And when I say me, I know that sounds crazy, but me, meaning that he's given me something that's helping people that I wish I had long time ago to be able to have those conversations in a safe place to be able to share your heart and not feel crazy and not feel alone not feel like you're the only person who's going through this who has gone through this who has experienced it so i'm so glad that he gave me a space that i wish i had and now other people have that space so they don't have to go through what i did as long as i had to go through it Like, I wish I had that space back then. I wish I had somebody who was talking about what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I wish I had that place. So I would tell the listeners, yeah, that God, man, he, you, we might not understand it, but it always works for our good. We might not understand. I love it. Thank you so much. That was so good. One of the pillars of this podcast is around resiliency. And for me, when I talk about resiliency in the context of this podcast, for me, it's about don't quit on God. Yes. Because when life gets hard, right? I mean, sometimes it's easy for us to quit on us, right? Mm -hmm. I'm saying don't quit on God because he does have a plan. And the Bible says that it's a good plan and a hope for your future. And so it's like this idea of resiliency really resonates for me because I know when I went through what I went through. It was only because of the grace of God that I didn't quit on myself. I didn't quit on God. And I felt like at one point it would have been easier for me to do so. Mm-hmm. And I hear that in your testimony as well. And I thank you so, so much for coming on today. But before we kind of end this, first of all, I want people to know where they can find you because you mentioned your podcast and kind of like you just said it real quick. I need you to slow it down so people can go ahead and tune in to your podcast as well and tell us where we can find you in other spaces and places. Oh, absolutely. The Exchange Place podcast is on all streaming platforms. 
You can find us on Spotify. We are on YouTube. We are everywhere. We are iHeart everywhere that they are streaming podcasts. If you want to follow us on IG, we are at The Exchange Place, or you can follow me at Faith 100578. And I have a book coming out too for y'all. Anybody want to be a podcaster? <laughs> Go on ahead and talk about your book real quick. You have a book coming out? What is your book about? I have, a, I have an ebook coming out and it's how to start a podcast. All the things that literally I wish that I knew before I started. So anybody who's looking to start a podcast, it will be available 3-3-22. So hit me up. <laughs> Listen, that's so good because I might need to go back and just read it because there's some things I probably skipped over some things that I need to implement myself. And just real quick for the listeners, when she says the exchange place for her podcast is not an EX, it is just a capital X in change. Yes. <laughs> I want to say that because I'm like, it'll be hard to find because I think other podcasts might pop up with that or even on YouTube. So I just wanted to clarify that. But anyway, Yet again, thank you, Deborah, so much for your time, your energy, and your humility today. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure to be here. Beyond my book, if you're interested in learning more about how to become God's best version of yourself by awakening to your purpose, consider enrolling in my online course, which you'll find on my website again which is www.drvernell.com because God's love for you and the reason why he created you is greater than you will ever know. And guess what? He wants you to succeed in carrying out your purpose.